Welcome to episode 109 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time around, we're looking at both Redux and Redux 2, which originally aired on November 2nd and 9th of 1997. The action primarily takes place in Washington, D.C. The IMDb user score for Redux has risen from 8.7 to 8.9 out of 10, while the score from Redux 2 has risen from 9.0 to 9.2 out of 10. Both episodes were written by Chris Carter. The first was directed by R.W. Goodwin, and the second by Kim Manners. The first episode also bears the unusual tagline, All Lies Lead to the Truth. As a quick plot summary, we learn that, first of all, Mulder is not the dead man in his apartment. We're shocked, I know. Instead, he was having difficulty and was crying with a gun in his hand when he's questioning everything he thought he believed, but instead he found that his apartment was under surveillance and ended up killing the surveyor in self-defense. Scully was aware of this and also that he'd set up the man's corpse to simulate his own, so he'd have time to take the dead man's ID card and infiltrate the Department of Defense. Ultimately, while he's in there, he discovers the cure for Scully's cancer in the form of a microchip, though there is room to attribute her recovery to radical medical treatments, prayer, or any combination of the three. Mulder and Scully end up working together again under Skinner, after Mulder rejects a recruitment offer from the cigarette-smoking man, and Scully realizes that she was wrong to suspect Skinner of being the spy or traitor in the government, Mulder correctly identifies Section Chief Scott Blevins as the mole, based mostly on gut instinct, and the cigarette-smoking man is subject to an assassination attempt by the syndicate that he works with. Now, he's assumed dead due to the amount of blood loss that there was, but no body was found. It's also worth highlighting a moment in Redux when the cigarette smoking man is talking to the first elder from the syndicate, and clearly doesn't believe for a second that Mulder is actually dead. It forms a nice symmetry with the conclusion of the episode when Skinner says the cigarette smoking man is dead. Well, we didn't find the body, but there was so much blood loss, and Mulder's immediate reaction is that, no, this guy's alive. So behind the scenes, this did premiere late compared to the other seasons, specifically in November. And that was for a couple of reasons, partly to buy time to make the movie over the summer, partly to avoid World Series baseball preempting the show, as had been a problem in earlier seasons, and partly because this was just a shorter season. Because of the time involved in filming the movie, they just didn't make as many episodes. There's only 20 episodes this season. Now, this was also the first season to be filmed in HD format, so the full widescreen 16x9. These episodes look very good, but the show was still being aired in 4x3, and this season was still doing cinematography with that 4x3 mentality. So they're still airing it for the standard TV aspect ratio and would just have the extra material in the picture for audiences like today's who are most likely re-watching it in the 16 by 9 format on most TVs. So the Blu-ray and Netflix and other releases have recomposited the first four seasons into widescreen, but the DVD releases still have the first four in their intended 4 by 3 And frankly, there's a couple episodes coming up that I'll point out as we get to them where I'd have preferred it if those were also in the 4x3, because that's clearly how they were set up when they were airing. This was also originally planned as the final season of the TV series. They were thinking about making a transition from TV into movies rather than going back and forth. The back and forth idea of going to the big screen and then coming back to the series made writing much more difficult to challenge when you got to the end of season 5 and the start of season 6. The end of season five wasn't so bad because it was always planned to end where the movie began, 
But then coming back out of the movies and into the TV series again, they wanted to write it in a way that would support audiences who hadn't seen the film yet, or audiences who started with the film and then wanted to continue on TV. So we'll get to that in about 40 weeks' time when we're looking at that part of the series history. As for the science this time around, well, the PCR tests and so forth that were being used to study the cancer and compare it to Dana Scully's DNA, that's all genuine DNA science. I don't know it well enough to confirm that, yes, that's a human DNA strand being pulled out of the test tube, and yes, all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed in the proper way it takes to do it, but it's at least inspired by real tests and real procedures and are convincing enough for my only partially trained eye to be convinced. Now, as for the cure for her cancer, a microchip stuck under the skin, that's just a foreign object. It would have to control something in the body's immune system to work, and that would mean being somehow tied into the nervous system. But that's not what this was. They just kind of shoved it under the skin and hoped for the best. So as far as that aspect of the science is concerned, the doctor's radical treatment is the most likely explanation for Scully's recovery from the scientific perspective. So that's where we are. As far as the myth arc is concerned, this sets up a very unusual status quo. When Mulder is no longer convinced in alien abductions, he has seen the possible real Samantha Mulder, possible clone of Samantha Mulder, who claims that the cigarette smoking man raised her as his daughter, and that the rest of their family was dead, and she just found out that Mulder was alive. We get a step in the Mulder and Scully relationship which Chris Carter sees as the first step towards a romance, which had never been planned. To him, it started to feel natural at this point. A lot of the fandom had been crying for it, the Fox Network had been crying for it, and Carter had resisted it for a long time. But it was only now when Mulder was by Scully's bedside and she was saying, blame me for the killing because I'm not going to be around anyway. It was writing those scenes where Carter started to feel that maybe there could be something to this, and maybe it would grow naturally from this point. We also get a very different status quo when the cigarette smoking man is on the outs with the syndicate, and at least a fair portion of the world that's aware of him has presumed he's dead. Anyway, we will continue studying the X-Files in two weeks' time with unusual suspects, and we're going to stick with the X-Files almost exclusively well to the end of the season before we have our next tie-in or spoof episode. So in the meantime, don't hesitate to Rate this and any other shows you listen to on whatever podcatcher you use, or to share links for any podcast with friends who you feel may be interested in. Pretty much every podcaster I know is just trying to reach out and communicate with an audience, so that will always help. Speaking of communication, any and all feedback can be sent to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com. And finally, thank you for listening.